This morning we are continuing our sermon series in the book of Proverbs, and I've titled the sermon this morning, Choose Your Friends Wisely. The book of Proverbs is an intensely practical book. It is a very much, a, it's almost like a little bit of a, it's like a manual, a how-to, um, how to live life, how to conduct oneself in this world. It's a very interesting book to read. Some of us people, we buy the product, maybe it's disassembled, then we try to assemble it, and then it doesn't work, and then we go to instructions. Maybe there are some people who are like that. Others of us, we take the box, dig around for the instruction manual, don't even look at anything, just look at the instruction manual, and then we read it cover to cover, and then we start to assemble the product. The Bible is God's manual, God's guidebook for us how to live life. Now, of course, it's all very good, but a lot of it is like that, the book of Proverbs especially. I want to begin by stating that as God's children, as God's people, God has called us to live a life of holiness, holiness towards him and love toward him and love toward everyone else. In the book, in the letter to the Corinthians, you won't read that, but 1 Corinthians 13, Paul clearly teaches the basic foundation out of which we're to live, and that's out of love. And he tells us to love basically universally in terms of there should be no room for hate in our lives. It doesn't matter who the people are that we deal with, who the people are that we come in contact with, whether it's old or young, small or, or tall, um, young or old, rich or poor, or famous or not powerful or weak, or even our enemies were called to love them. doesn't matter who they are, whether they're mean to us or nice to us, proud or humble, doesn't matter. This last week, as I was getting ready for this morning, I um, came across a sermon by a gentleman by the name of Haddon Robinson. Uh, he's passed on. He's not around anymore. And he simply asked this question in the sermon that he preached. He said, do you love people? And he spoke at length on 1 Corinthians 13, that's why I'm mentioning it. And he talked about the life of the Apostle Paul. Paul was the kind of guy who thought he could earn his way to heaven. If he was good enough, God would reward him with heaven. But then Jesus Christ got a hold of him, the Holy Spirit convicted him, he repented, he was never the same again, and was a powerful preacher. Having said all of this about love and loving everyone and what God wants us to do, live lives of holiness and so on, There's an element to the Christian life, to living holy lives, that we seldom talk about, and we should talk about it once in a while. And that is the whole context of how do we decide who do we connect with? How do we do that? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, there's a verse. I want to read this. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. That fits right in line with the teachings of Proverbs. And I'm not saying this to say that, oh, there's people we can hate or reject or push away from us. But there are people in this world whom Satan uses to try to deceive the saints. And this morning we want to explore that a little bit. Loving people is the right thing to do. It's the wise thing to do. Regardless of who they are, that's God's calling on our lives to all people. But Satan uses some people to lure God's people away from him. There are some people we should not keep company with. 
It's a simple principle, but hard to live. If we want to live in relationship with Jesus, we will love God and love everyone else, even our enemies. But we will not be in partnership or team up with people who hate God. Jesus very clearly said you can't be worshiping God in money. Or we can say worshiping God and also being friends with the enemies of God. A verse in 1 Peter 1 verse 15 is another verse I want to read. Peter wrote this, he said, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. These are sobering words. We can only be holy in God's eyes when we are in relationship with Jesus Christ. If we're in relationship with Jesus, God sees us holy through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. It's important that in our earthly physical lives, we reflect that holiness. And sometimes, sometimes that holiness is reflected in what we say no to, in what we stay away from, what we eliminate from our lives. As I said this morning, we are continuing on in Proverbs, and today is the second sermon in the book of Proverbs that we're going through. Last Sunday, we dealt with the whole concept of God is our foundation. Everything branches out from there. If we get the foundation wrong, we get the whole thing wrong. I ended my sermon last Sunday by pointing out that the wisest thing we can do is look to Jesus and walk in his footsteps. I also mentioned, in the end, it does come down to just this, a relationship with Jesus. If we forget that or if we miss that, we've missed the whole thing. This morning, in our second sermon in the series, we want to start branching out from this one main foundation in a whole lot of areas. Today, we'll just point out the one area, and that's who do we connect with in life besides Jesus, besides God? We want to look at a number of branches of wisdom as we go on. And today, we want to look at who do we choose to share life with? Who do we do life with? Our focus will be on relationships as in what kind of people do we choose to connect with? You ever wondered if you're having the right friends, if you're connected with the right people? You ever feel you're not quite sure, you don't, don't know for sure? And if you're looking for friends, what or who do you look for? When you want to make friends, what do you go by? The friends we choose, the people we choose to connect with and partner and team up with, say a lot about what's in our own hearts. It's been said that the kind of people we are attracted to or we want to align with, they say a lot about what's inside of us. It has been said, birds of a feather flock together. It means that geese will fly with geese, ducks will fly with ducks, and so on. And so the kinds of people I seek out is a huge revelation of what's going in in my heart. But it's a sad but true fact. There are literally Satan-serving people in this world. Jesus had some very, very drastic comments, and he called the Pharisees sons of hell, basically saying they were dangerous, toxic people. The people should not model their lives after their lives. We must choose wisely what we do. So let's begin in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. We had the first seven verses last Sunday. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, and here are the words of Solomon to his son. He says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. The assumption here is that this is a godly teaching from in a godly context. That's the assumption here. 
Last Sunday, as I mentioned, we read on how important it is that we rely on God, and God is the the core, the foundation of everything. Now in verse 8, the writer goes deeper. He goes another level downward, deeper into the foundation. He's calling this young man his son. He says, Hear your father's instruction, forsake not your mother's teaching. This means more than just audible sound coming from the father's lips and going into the son's ears. Now knowledge has transferred. This means action. This means doing. What the father is saying, do that. What the mother is teaching, do that. Live that out. It's very important. Verse 9, he says, For they, meaning the words and the teachings of father and mother, he says, For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Have you ever noticed or just observed or just contemplated this idea that wisdom and beauty just correlate, they just, they just beautifully blend together, they just fit together, they complement each other. Wisdom always looks attractive. Maybe you've noticed this and maybe you've experienced this when you get to know a person, you don't know quite for sure, you're not quite sure about this individual, you have met them, seen them, but you're not quite sure. As time goes on, you find that this is a person of integrity, of good moral values and and has a servant heart. And not only do you now develop an attraction to this person, you find out actually, well, there's beauty in this person. A noble character acts wisely. Not just as they are the attractive, they actually become a beautiful person in your life. The opposite is true as well. A person may appear attractive until one realizes they're prideful, they're arrogant, they're stubborn, they're selfish and dishonest and all the rest. Suddenly they're not attractive anymore. They're just ugly you find out they're evil. Sometimes I wonder, what would it look like if everybody would, on the outside, appear the way they are on the inside? I think we would not want God to put on a big PowerPoint, on a big screen, our inner state of being. The the writer of Proverbs calls this person his son. There's a, there's a, there's a relationship here. It's, it's a parent-child relationship. And when children are relationally connected with their parents, the relationship is good. It's a powerful force for good in the life of that child. I want to make a few comments in regards to the parent-child relationship in this context here. Let me just first say a few words to parents. I'm very aware that you may be a parent listening this morning who does not have this kind of relationship with your child where you can communicate knowledge and teaching to your child. It's not working. You may not be in a place where you can speak this truth into your child's life and that your child actually acts on that. That may not be the case where it's happening. And if that is the case, I'm not suggesting you're a bad parent by no means. Please do not misunderstand me. It is true there's no perfect parents, but there are many godly parents who have children who have different, for different reasons, have made up their mind not to follow the teachings of the parents based on the Bible. A story that comes to mind, which we will not turn toward, but if you want to in your own, later on in your time, 1 Samuel chapter 8, 1 and 3, the story of Samuel. He had served Israel many, many years as a very faithful judge. He had led the people well. He became old and decided he was going to put his two sons, Joel and Amos, I believe it was, to be judge in his place. They served as judges. But it says they did not follow his footsteps. It says they took bribes and perverted justice. We find no reason to believe that it was Samuel's fault for the sinful path his sons chose. 
The passage here in Proverbs is not addressed to parents in that sense. It's addressed to the son, we can say the children. Let me say a few words to children as well. I feel compassion for children who have not had an environment where there's a godly mother and father imparting knowledge and wisdom to the child. In a way, those children have to look that much harder and more intensely for wise role models in life. They don't have godly parents. And so that child's moral foundation has to be built on some other influence than just the parents. For the child to have a solid start in life, that child may have to look elsewhere. And let me say this to you, if you're a son or daughter, and if your parents are God-fearing parents, and if you are refusing their godly advice, you're rejecting God's authority in your life. And there are consequences for that. Maybe you're wondering, how do you know you're on the right track? There are a few simple questions you can ask for some self-evaluation. If you have a belief and a faith in God, then you ask, where will the path you're on now take you if you keep on going on this path? Another question might be a relationship with your parents. Are you ever embarrassed with their instructions that they're giving you? I'm not saying they're always right. They sometimes get things wrong. They may not have as much knowledge and education as you have in the secular world, but they have time, history, experience under their belt. Perhaps you think you know better. Oh, sure you do. The world says so. The culture says so. But the world's been wrong about a lot of other things too. As far as time is concerned, you haven't been around that long yet. God has given you life through your mom and dad. Cherish it. Not that they're perfect, but they're God's gift to you. Your parents have been around a lot longer than you. They have, they have experienced something you only get with time. Oh yes, maybe you have letters behind your name. That's just head knowledge. And the Bible says knowledge by itself puffs up. Paul writes about that. It's very useful if applied right, if applied wisely, but toxic if used selfishly. Let me say it as clearly as I can. If your parents are following the teachings of Jesus, listen to them. Even if, even if your parents may not know God, but they're still teaching you what the Bible commands in terms of honesty and integrity, some parents who don't know God even do that, then follow Moses' teaching in Exodus 20, verse 12. Moses says in Exodus 20, verse 12, 12, Honor your father and mother. No qualifiers, no exceptions, no ands, ifs, or buts about it. Now, granted, again, the context, if they're, what they're commanding you is God's, God's word to God's glory, then you're responsible. I know, I'm aware, there are exceptions to everything. And sometimes homes are so broken, so fallen down, that there's no other way for, except that the home has to undergo some serious change through outside involvement. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about homes as we generally know them. I mentioned last Sunday that no child is born with wisdom. Every child must be trained and taught, given the tools to make wise choices. Every child must be trained to do the right thing so that when the child grows, the child can then go back on that information and based on that information, do the right thing. And as the writer Proverbs says, it's like a garland, it's like a pendant, it's beautiful. And sometimes when the home is broken, God will miraculously and the sovereignty opened up a door for a young child to learn from other outside-wise role models how to live a godly life. When the training happens, however it happens, it is important that the young person learns well. Let's go on in verse 10 of uh, Proverbs, where he talks about the dangers, the risks, if you don't do this. He says, uh, verse 10, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, 
Let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole. Like those who go down to the pit, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us, and we will all have one purse. This is horrible. It's drastic. It's graphic. And we might, might every one of us at this point might say, well, I would never do that. I would never go there. I would never go that far. No, maybe not. Then why go on the on-ramp? If that's not a freeway you want to go down, then why go on the on-ramp? Then why mess with this and see how far you can go without falling off? The writer to Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs, he's warning his son, says, don't consent. Don't give in. Don't go there. There are evil people in this world who are bent on destruction. They have plans to destroy. I know it sounds graphic, but that's scripture. And sometimes it doesn't start out as, as graphic. There are many ways in which this happens. Sometimes it starts out quite innocent, maybe quite benign appearing. It doesn't look like very consequential. It doesn't look that bad. And it's a graduation of one event after another and after another. And I'm reminded of the words of C.S. Lewis. He said, Why use a big act of sin if a game of cards can eventually achieve the same destination? And he said, The road to hell is paved with good intentions. You just little by little by little by little by little by little, and eventually that's a huge change. The writer to Proverbs says, don't, go, don't consent, don't go along. Stay away from people like that. If you partner up with an evil person, they will influence you. They will end up hurting you. You know they're always full of promises, these people. They're always full of these ideas. Of, if you join us, here's the benefit. They never talk about the end destruction that's coming. They always talk about the good things that are coming. Verse 13, it says, We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will have one purse. If there's one word you would say to a person, say, run, run, get away, get away. The story comes to mind is the story of Joseph as a slave in Egypt, a handsome young-looking guy that he was serving in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife was an immoral, evil woman. She wanted to seduce him. And we can just imagine our mind, shouldn't, but we could, what all the discussions were that she had for him and how she dressed and how she approached him and whatnot, in every which way to kind of get him on her side. What did he do? He ran. She was an evil woman. There's many cases like that in Scripture. James chapter 1, verse 13 talks about temptation. James chapter 1, 13 says, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. This is a description of the outcome of what happens with people described in Proverbs chapter 1 and 8 verse on. The cost is huge. Proverbs 19 verse 1 is another passage. We may get to it in one of our future sermons, but Proverbs 19 verse 1 says, Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Jesus tells us not to call people fools. 
But the Bible calls certain types of people fools. So if a person goes down this path and follows this road in life, according to Scripture, that person is a fool. And the word fool cancels out everything of value in that person's life. Let's continue reading verse 15 in Proverbs 1. It says, My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. No good parent wants to see their child take this road in life, unless, of course, the parents themselves are evil themselves. But many a young man and woman has fallen victim to the temptations of our times and culture. And it has been happening before it was happening, then it's happening now. But we don't have to be part of that group of people. There's a powerful drawing force here. When a person has been warned, a person has received the teaching, then the person has that knowledge, and then that person is responsible. We cannot play the victim card. Solomon is warning his son not to go with these people. They're up to no good. I could list in my own life many people's names, which I'll never do, but many people that I know personally over the many years of our ministry who I could point out who have suffered catastrophic loss in many ways, whether it's morally, financially, or socially, because they went with someone who promised high rewards and couldn't deliver. Sin never delivers. He says in verse 17, he says, For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. Trying to spread a net in a plain sight for a bird in broad daylight won't work. But you know something? It's amazing how easily so many people are lured by the temptation to sin as if it's going to pay off. Verse 18, he says, For these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who's greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. The seeds we sow become the fruits we harvest. They sow evil, expect to gain wealth, and in the end, harvest destruction. Unjust gain will not provide for it. A psalm that came to my mind as I was going through this this last week a psalm that's a very fitting psalm. I'll read this psalm and then we'll wrap this up. Psalm 73 is a psalm of Asaph. He writes this. He says, a psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues stretch through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. 
Truly, you set them on a slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in, my, in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works." Life is serious business, not to be played and toyed with. And so many people just gamble with it. We got time, so we do things to ourselves, things with others, to others, live in different ways, as if we have forever to decide. And then it looks envious when others get away with it, seemingly. They look like they get away with it. It's, it's working. And then the words of Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8 and on become very difficult to obey because the temptation is so hard. The psalmist here, Psalmist Asaph, he writes about this. It seemed evil was paying off, and in the end he realized it's not. It won't work. I've said it recently in one of my sermons recently, we only get a one go at this, only one round at this. We don't get to press reset and start life over if it doesn't work out. This idea of let's experiment, let's try it, let's not go there. As I said before, we are called to live lives of holiness, integrity, and devotion to Jesus Christ. Let's keep in mind, if what's being advertised, if what's being promoted, if that does not lead to holiness with God, if that does not lead to repentance and serving Jesus, then it's dangerous. Then we have to ask ourselves, who are we walking with? Let's choose our friends wisely in all areas of life. Do we want to become part of the culture, or do we want to become part of Jesus' body, the church? The kind of people we look up to, the kind of role models we adore and are attracted to, they have an influence on us. The temptation is always to compromise our compass and just shift the moral compass just a little bit. It's tempting. It really is. Jesus clearly warned his disciples and he encouraged them. In this life we will have struggles, but he's overcome this world. We can have peace through him. The way of the cross is never advertised or promoted as an easy path. That's why it's called the cross, because it's difficult. But that's the only way to purity, to relationship, and to holiness, and to glory. May we choose that path. Let us pray. Lord, we're thankful. We're grateful for your word to us. Lord, some of these teachings are difficult. Some of them are extremely hard. Because you call us to love all people, to hate no one, to reject no one. But Lord, then there are people in this world, in our culture, and so many of them, who are lost and in darkness and yet proclaim to be the ones who have the answers. Help us, Lord, to be wise in who we choose to team up with, to partner up with, and who we want to go with. May you give us grace to that end as we seek to live lives of holiness and faithfulness to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.